If you're an entrepreneurial public servant, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA, and I am very excited for today's guest, uh, a longtime friend, a, I'm, a, I'm probably one of his biggest fans, uh, Matt Handel joins us. Um, Matt, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, BJ. Appreciate it. Very excited to get in. Um, Matt, I want you to give a bit of an intro as we uh, as we go through. But what I, I think it's important that uh, we were first connected by Wally Zimalong, uh, who is a construction attorney, who said you guys should meet. And he, I, I had already heard of Matt because I had seen something uh, from his help everybody every day, which automatically clicked with me. Uh, and, and Matt can get a little bit more into that, but, uh, Matt is, uh, your consummate marketer BD guy. Uh, he is uh, a proposal master. He teaches across the country. He has an online course. Uh, he, he came from, uh, and, and I think still is in the marketing side of, um, the construction management and professional services industry and is an all around, uh, awesome human being, uh, which, which, uh, I think help everybody every day, uh, can, you know, that tagline al- alone tells you a lot about Matt. Um, but Matt, I really want you to tell the audience, you know, the path that you took, uh, where you came from, how you got into the construction management and the, the marketing industry, uh, you know, wh- go back as far as you can. And, and then I'll get into more specific conversation around where the help everybody every day tagline came from. Okay. All right. So going back as far as I can, it was 1974 <laughs> and there was, there was a, a fire at my house and, and my mom, you know, woke up house was filled with smoke and she was able to get out of the house with her life. And I, at that point in time, I was in her belly. Wow. So, so what happened was my dad was, was the worst contractor ever. Him and his, <laughs> him and his, uh, him and his brothers built houses and, and he was a carpenter by trade. So when building an, an addition to our house, he decided, you know what? I can do the electrical work myself. I don't need an electrician to do that, you know? And thus our house burnt to the ground. So my dad was in the doghouse for, for a while. And I, I didn't think that I would ever get into the construction industry. I, you know, I didn't go to school for construction. I went to school for journalism and, and, and uh, public relations. But somehow I, I found myself in this industry, for, first kind of through the real estate industry and then started working for an MEP design firm based out of New York City. And then for, for many, many years, I worked with a uh, construction consulting firm. And that's, so how did I get involved in proposals? So I got involved really when I was working for the MEP design firm. We did a lot of proposals. I did a lot of proposals. I was doing like 160 a year. So I was doing a lot of proposals. And, um, you know, I, I would have people from, a lot of times we work very closely with HOK, which is a big architecture firm. 
And these guys, these architects with the bow ties would, would come in and, this, and they would always say like, Matt, what is it that you actually do? Cause they knew me, they knew me, they'd see me around and, and they, and, but what exactly do you do? And I would say, well, I'm a prostitute. <laughs> That's what I would do. <laughs> I just submit proposals all day, you know? So when I started working for, for uh, this firm Troner, they were more con, uh, construction consulting, really like a schedule. They analyze schedules and construction delays all over the country. So typically your engineering firm, your construction firm is very regional based, right? But Troner, you know, we were all over the place. So uh, over the years, I got to submit proposals really all over the country. Uh, I say I, I kind of lost count, but nearly every state, if not all the states, even in Alaska and Hawaii, I've submitted proposals. So I got to to submit like different kinds of to different agencies, but both federal and state and local and all over the country. So I think I got a little bit of a broader education than than most people submitting proposals. And I was thinking about, at one point I was like, well, maybe I should get into a more of a technical role. So let me write down what I know, because one of the things I learned at Troner is you don't know what you know until you write it down. You don't know what you know until you write it down. So I decided, well, let me write down what I know. And people really, it resonated with a lot of people and people found it very helpful. And I started this we were going to update our website. This is going back 2005, 2006 or something like that. We were going to revise our, our website. So I said, well, let me just learn how to do that myself. So I, so I, so I put together my own website called to help everybody every day and started writing on that website and that gained some traction and, you know, people started enjoying that. And so I, you know, I wrote a book that turned into courses. What was and- the book? Now the book is proposal development secrets. You can find that on Amazon or wherever uh, fine books are sold. <laughs> so that, that proposal development secrets was the, was the book I wrote. And I was, people asked me from there to speak. And then I, that's kind of where the training business, if you will, started. Where did the title help everybody every day come from? Yeah. So a, a friend of mine, Tim Bundy, he he wrote a book. You're not going to say he, uh, he wrote a book called Networking Network as an Introvert. Network like an introvert, it's called. Uh, and I think that was actually published before before my book was published. Uh, so he was kind of my age, and he, you know he wrote a lot about networking, and I and I learned a lot about networking from Tim. So. Tim wrote this book, Network Like an Introvert. And so I would be on the phone with Tim. I'd give him a call. He was in DC. I was in Philly. So I'd call up Tim and Tim, i say, yo, Tim, what's going on? And he would say, I'm just trying to help everybody every day. And that resonated with me on a couple of different levels because I was a student of social psychology. And I, and I knew um, that there was a rule of reciprocation. And the rule of reciprocation is if I feel indebted to you, uh, I'm going to look for ways to get rid of that feeling. So if I feel like I owe you a favor, I'm going to look for ways to get rid of that feeling. So from a scientific perspective, helping everybody every day is some of the best marketing you can do. 
Yeah. Uh, from a strategic perspective, a lot of times we fall in love with our service or product, but really you got to fall in love with your client. You got to say, how can I help my client versus like, oh, how can I sell him this widget, right? Or him or her, this widget. So, so it works on a, from a philosophical standpoint as well as, as a scientific standpoint. Um, so I stole that from Tim <laughs> and I call my website, help everybody every day. And there's a big lawsuit and he's suing me for millions of dollars. <laughs> Now Tim's, Tim, yeah, Tim's having a lot of success as his firm every year it goes up on the ENR list. So, um, but yeah, so that really inspired me, if you will, to, to, to name that site, help everybody every day, even though like, that's a really weird name for a site about marketing in the construction industry. To some people it is, to me, it's like perfect. I agree. Um, and I think anybody that's a seller doer out there, that is like as rich of advice as you're going to get is um, you know, figure out how to help your client and your partners. And as I was preparing for this, I was thinking to myself about, you know, some of the struggles we've had and, and, uh, I'm not just a friend of Matt. I'm also a client. We, we have bought Matt's proposal mastery for training our employees. Um, and one of the, and, and this is not a slight on our big business partners because it's, it's actually a reflection on a slight I've had against big business partners, which is they always put us on our teams and then when they never use us and the help everybody every day mindset is, well, why aren't they using us? Right. It's, it's not their problem that they're not using me. It's my problem that they're not using me, even though we're on contracts, even though that we, we you know, we helped with the proposal. It's really about the value proposition that we're, we're bringing to them and, and how can we make it a win-win because they've got their own problems and their own issues and their own priorities that they're dealing with. So how do we better use that, that reciprocity principle uh, to make them feel like, Hey, we really, we really need to use MCFA. We owe MCFA uh, some help. Uh, so I think that's such a great, principle and and it's a great life principle. I mean you you said, you know, care about your clients. I also think it's it's a lot about who you are and why you do what you do is I think you get uh satisfaction out of helping other people. And sometimes we get too busy, sometimes we we become so self-focused that we forget that it is about the client, it is about other people. Um so you said you're not with Troner anymore. Well, I I, I mean I'm vaguely with Troner is what I would say. You know, like I talk to him every week, um, you know, more of a, a, from an advisor capacity these days than anything else. Got it. Um, could you tell us, because, you know, we, we think that we're mostly being listened to by uh, probably the technical side of the industry, but uh, because everybody is a seller doer in this world and everybody has proposals and everybody came from a different background, your first job, how did you, how did you land in the industry in your first position, uh, from a journalism major? Well, it's, it's different from the, when I got into real estate versus when I got to, uh, construction, construction, really MEP design. Right. 
how I got the ME, you know, we'll skip through the real estate stuff, but how I got through the MEP design to the MEP design firm is that I interviewed for this firm. And I saw something on online on monster.com or whatever. I got an interview, right. And, uh, you know, didn't hear anything back. Right. So I like bombarded them with phone calls. You know, I just called them again and again and again. And what happens and what I learned over the years, which is unfortunate, is when you're trying to hire somebody, you're hiring somebody because you're so busy. You need more people to help you. But the the flip side of that is you're too busy to hire anybody. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, people interview and they don't want to make decisions or whatever, They you know, like, they go on to something else and they just kind of leave people hanging and they left me hanging for, for, for a while. And I was calling them, calling. And I think I got that job just because I was just hammering them. And they finally were like, all right, just bring this guy in. (laughs) For, for anybody out there, there's a lesson in that. Don't give up because I think it is everybody's too busy. And if you have the initiative and you're, you know, you just keep showing that you have the desire I think desire trumps everything at some point in time. Um, You've, you've had a lot of different projects. I, I often tell you that you amaze me with how many projects you take on and then, and, and execute and you're back. Your response to that is no, you just focus on something uh, and stay focused on it until it's completed. What is your latest project that you're working that's, a, that's an interesting question because I, I, I think over the last couple of years, I've, I've been less, um, I guess, ambitious than ever. Um, so, so as far as I don't feel like I have any big pro- projects, the, the one thing I'm working on right now or going through right now is, you know, I have a fairly large list, like 7,000 people, which um, yeah, it's fairly big and not everybody, um, reads every email that I send out, right? Believe it or not. So I try to read at least half of them. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. <laughs> so that presents a problem because if you're sending 7,000 emails out a week and uh, you know, only portion of people are, are, are looking at them or opening them, they're eventually going to get in people's spam. Right. So, so uh, right now I, I'm vetting my entire list. And at one point in the next couple of months, if anybody who hasn't opened an email in three months is just getting cut from my list. So I'm uh, dramatically reducing my list. I'm, I'm uh, vetting it, if you will. Trying to get so to 1,000 the- true fans. You're trying to get to a thousand true fans, right? Um, all right. We we started out the uh, pre before we got on here. We started talking about EOS and entrepreneurial operating system. Uh, and what is your personal operating system? <laughs> um, I call it a POB. <laughs> I pull out of my butt operating system. Um, I don't really have an operating system per se, I, I, um, it's kind of a hodgepodge of, of, uh, a bunch of different things. Um, 
like my system itself, the system I set up is in, is built very much on Ramit Sethi's like um, process of getting people to buy um, your courses. So his whole uh, launch method is, is kind of what I use to, to launch the courses or, or to get people to buy the courses. Uh, I went to one of his, his uh, I've met him on several occasions, actually. And I, I went to one of his, his conferences one time and uh, I was talking to him about, I had this problem where every time I would, I would like launch a course Right. I launched course to, I don't know, let's just say whoever was on my list. Right. So I'd write these like, it's like 12 or 13 long emails in this launch sequence. Right. And, you know, a, a percentage of those people would, would buy, but inevitably the next day, somebody else would sign on my list. Right. So then, okay. How do I launch to that person? Right. And how uh, Ramit's system works is when you, you know, sign up to his website, you run through a series of emails that launch it, you know, and you have a certain amount of time to buy the course. And I said, well, Ramit, how do you do that? And he's like, well, geez it cost us like millions of dollars to do that. You know, it's, it's, it's very, it's proprietary, you know, how, how you do that. And I went to this conference just for that one piece of information. Like I, I went to Chicago for that one piece of information. So I, you know, this was the last day and he said that to me and I, I, was, I was walking away and I was like kind of mumbling about it. And guy came up to me and said like, there's a product that does that. <laughs> product that does that. it's called this and i was like what and and you know i then i implemented that so now i have like this you know when you sign up to my website you're getting like two years of emails already set up you know that you're getting so it's a whole system if you will and it incorporates the the deadlines for buying courses that are unique to each individual so that's a little bit down a rabbit hole, but that's like talking about like, yes, it's, it's very much a system, my, my business per se, but as far as like, you know, I read traction, but I don't really necessarily use the EOS system. I don't really, uh, I've used the past. I've used the uh, freedom journal, which was I that John Dumas. I don't know. Who I think is. you, I think you, you sent me, you sent yeah, me one of those months. journals. Yeah. It's like, I, I thought that I used that when I was originally trying to set up the course. Yeah. Uh, and that worked very well for me. So I, I have something similar to that. It's now full focus planner, which is Michael Hyatt. And it's very similar. It's like your day is filled with to-do lists, but what are the, what are the three most important things you got to get done today? Um, and, and one of the things I have to be better at, personally is, is this combination of delegating, deleting, deferring, or, or, or doing it. And it, it's just, you know, with a lot of inbound triaging that, um, is, is difficult, especially the, the business developer in me that wants to never say no to anything. Um, you know, it's, it's a tough balance, but that EOS 
has essentially been that to our business, what the Michael Hyatt planner has been to me. And uh, I'm, you know, there's always competing priorities. Um, but I'm, I'm glad you went down the remit rabbit hole uh, because I think it's the thing that you and I most connect on. And I, and here's where I want to, I want to take the conversation because there's a lot of thought leadership content going on out there. There's a lot of big businesses spending a ton of money on people speaking at conferences and blah, blah, blah. And here you are a self-made thought leader in the, in the space of marketing professional services and, and maybe even niche down even further is proposal development. Fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. So why, why are the entrepreneurial principles of Ramit Sethi not being incorporated in a more effective manner in corporate America. And, and I, I asked this question as somebody who's trying to do that in a small business, not a sole proprietor business, not a BJ business of one where I am the thought leader, but really trying to put our team and the thought leadership on our team out there. Um, so what are your reactions to that? <laughs> Well, I think a lot of it goes kind of, there's, there's more of a history to, um, to it. I, I think that, um, I'm trying to gather my thoughts on this one because it, it's an interesting question. I, I, I think that our, our business to some respect has been built around thought leadership, you know, like, so the firm I came from Toronto, I mean, they built their business on training people. Right. And you go to, you never go to a conference and they're like, Oh, we could only get two people to talk this year. <laughs> you know, there's always, there's always lots of people from different, different firms talking at, at these industry conferences. And there's a lot of, at least at one point, there was a lot of industry conferences. Some of them went virtual, you know, and uh, there's, there's not as many people go into these things anymore as there, there used to be. So I think there is kind of, thought leadership per se in our industry. But I think what's missing is a lot of people, you know, like, okay, here's what I want to, I want to go to this conference and I want to teach them about this. Like, this is what the message I want to get across. Right. And um, they're so focused on what they want to teach versus well, how can, what's their problems and how can I really help them? Does that make sense? Yeah. It, it's back to help everybody every day. It's so we're not, we're, we're speaking to what we want to talk about, not what they, you know, what their problems are. Yeah. Here's my, you know, <laughs> we'll talk about like one of the best, <laughs> the most effective presentation I ever saw was, was at the construction owners association. This guy came in and he was talking about, all these horrible problems that happen on projects, right? And the whole presentation, all these problems and how they were fixed. And at the very end of the presentation, he like flipped it around to say like, and the only way to fix these problems is through my service. <laughs> it, it turned, it was like, wow, this, this guy uh, turned it into, into a very effective sales pitch. He just, he's been sales pitching us for the last hour. The guy never, he never, he never saw construction owners association ever again after, after that. Um, but, (laughs) 
but I think people sometimes go up with that mentality of like, I'm going to go up there and I'm essentially going to show them what I know and sell them on my product or, or service or whatever versus focusing everything around the, 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 uh, the problems of our, of our clients and, and not only say problems, but uh, even annoyances or whatnot of our clients. You know, one of the things, the tests, one of the tests, let me tell you, here's some, I guess a negative on Remet's, uh, Remet's methods is I work with his head of SEO one-on-one to a search engine optimization for yeah, all of our engineers, engine. non-marketers out there. Yeah. To learn how do you get to, how do you get more traffic? Right. And you know, I learned, I, I learned I could, I could get pretty much anything to the top front page of Google. I feel like I'm based on what I know. Um, but it really disillusioned me because to get to the front page of Google, I had to write these posts that essentially I, one, I didn't want to write and two, didn't seem as helpful as what I would normally write. Hmm. So that was a problem then. And another thing we did on my website is I probably cut the number of posts I had out. I probably cut half of my website. I just deleted half of my website. Wow. Let me tell you, I doubled my traffic. No kidding. Yeah. And so I was able to, in in a few months, more than double my traffic on my website. Wow. With, with just writing a, a few posts and cutting out a lot of posts. The problem was I felt that, oh, geez, my website is less helpful now. Because some of those posts, even though they were uh, not getting a lot of traffic or whatnot or, or get, bringing people in from Google, they weren't really focused on bringing in people from Google. They were focused on helping a, a specific audience. Right. So I was really disillusioned by that. And that's part of the reason that, that I don't really write on the website as much as I used to, because I'm in this weird position. Cause if I write what I want, it's actually going to hurt my website. That's and interesting. If I, and if I write to Google for Google, I'm going to essentially in my mind, decrease the quality of what's on my website. So that's really a conundrum in, in my mind right now is it's been what for years has been a conundrum. It's like, how do I, how do I deal with this conundrum? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, that, and that, that's like a quality quantity, right? You don't want to, you don't want to grow so fast that you lose who you are. Um, that, that is, that's, that's one to think on. And then you can think, well, Matt, ultimately, if you just bring more people in, you're going to be able to help more people. That's true. That, you know, but I'm, I'm kind of bringing them in under false pretenses in a way. No, that's so I let's get into that because you're genuinely, you're genuinely trying to get your message to them. Your emails, if, if they're on your email list, are they getting the information that used to be on your website? Um, no, not 
to some respect, yes. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. A lot of that yeah. stuff is just gone to the ether now. <laughs> stuff is gone. That's tough. I guess I always think like, you know, the, as a sole proprietor, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to leverage your time. You're trying to increase the number of people that are in your readership. Eventually you want them to buy from you. But at the end of the day, if, if they're getting the content you're putting out there, generosity marketing is you're giving away a whole bunch of content and thoughtful um, perspectives for free. And some, some number of that 7,000 or eventually 100% of your 1,000, when you get it down to the right list of a thousand, will buy everything you put out. Um, and they'll tell two friends and they'll tell two friends and then it'll grow it back to 10,000 and then you'll slice it back down to a thousand again. Um, any, anything on your mind from either current events or, or in the industry, um, that, you know, you just have a passion for, or, or uh, you're trying to disrupt or innovate or uh, just care deeply about? Well, I think one of the big issues, my, my book's called um, Proposal to Moment Secrets, Win More, Work Smarter, and Get Home on Time. And part of the reason that it's called Help Get Home on Time is because really that's what people, the, the proposititutes of the world really want to do is, is get home on time. Because I, I know people that were working weekends and I was working Easter Sunday and, uh, you know, lots of hours and the last one home and all, and all that fun stuff. And especially when you, when you're at a bigger firm, you know, and there's a lot more proposals going out that that's, that's a huge problem. So a few years ago, I was in, I was in, well, this is maybe five years ago or so I was in DC and there was a presentation by an attorney and she was explaining the rules for uh, just to go back a little bit. So a lot of the problem is people are like burnout. You're going to have burnout. And then this being in this proposal world, this proposal game, you're going to be burnout and you don't really last very long in the industry and working long hours, you're not getting paid a ton and because you're going after stuff that you shouldn't be going after, right? So there's like a lot of these, the problems are all unique, but connected in a way, right? And there's always discussion about like, how do we solve this problem? This is a big problem in our industry. How do we solve it? And I was going back to DC. I was in DC. I was talking, I was in this presentation and I, I learned something that really was mind boggling to me. And what it was, was we always have this. Um, when I went to work for a firm full time, they said, okay, you're either a part-time worker, right? Or you're exempt. Right. So you, if you're a part-time worker, you work 60 hours or whatever, one week, you're going to get overtime. But if you're salaried, if you're a salary employee, you're, you're exempt. Meaning you work, if you work 60 hours, we're going to pay you for 40 hours, right? Cause you're a salaried employee. Well, this attorney said, that's not true. That's not how it works. That's not what the regulations say. 
the regulations say that if you are a licensed professional, if you have some sort of, if you, if your job requires some sort of specialized training, then, or if you if you make over a hundred thousand dollars, if you meet those three, one of those three criteria, you make over a hundred thousand dollars, you have some sort of specialized license, or you, uh, you, your job requires some sort of specialized training that you provide to these people. Those people are exempt from overtime. Everybody else is not exempt from overtime. So a marketing coordinator that's, that's making even 70 or $80,000 a year, right? And working 50, 60 hours should be getting paid overtime. Because, because and the folks that are not paying these people over time are essentially breaking the law. And at the point in time, at the at point in time, Barack Obama, who was president, was 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 pushing to, about this contract versus full time employees, non exempt. And they had hired and what raised this lawyer's eyebrows is they hired a ton of people in the Department of Labor to try to tackle this. You know, whereas, you know, in the previous administrations, they just kind of didn't want to touch it. Right. Didn't want to enforce it. But now it looked like it was going to be enforced. So to, I was on a call the other day and we we're talking about this. And to me, it, it seems like it, that would fix a lot of problems. If people just, if, if these laws were just enforced in our industry, that would fix a lot of problems because if you're paying someone time and a half, as soon as they, if they're, if they're uh, working 60 hours, you might as well just pay two people and you get more productivity out of that. And if you have to, if, if it costs you more money to go after work, you probably shouldn't go after anyway. You're probably not going to go after it if it's going to cost you more money. If you see that as, okay, this is an additional cost. So I feel like that whole Enforcement of that regulation would fix a lot of problems here. And I actually went to SMPS, which is like the, the Society of Marketing Professional Services. This was years ago. Not anybody who is there now was there at that point in time. But I brought this up. This was this was years ago. And I said, listen, as an organization who wants the best for this group of your members. A lot of your members are really getting screwed here and this could fix it. So why don't we, one, educate people about this, educate the owners of these firms about this issue, and maybe we can fix something here. And they said, geez, Matt, we can't touch this because <laughs> we're not paying our folks. Uh, I, I thought that that might come up. Um, so, so the policy, you know, you, you can look at this as carrot and stick. The policy is the stick way of fixing this. I think the effectiveness of decision-making and, you know, I know you talk about go, no goes when you have an unlimited resource, which means 
you're no longer resource constrained by 40 hours of a marketing person, but you're resource constrained by as many hours as you make them work or as much volume as you workload you give them with no governor on it, you are that much more apt to say, let's throw our hat in the ring. Hey, we haven't, we haven't influenced this. We don't even know about it. It came out last week and it's due tomorrow. Yep. Let's go after it. And I think that, you know, this is a leadership issue and, and I, one that I've struggled with from, from being the business developer, we started out, you know, a little bit, ago, I have a hard time saying no to opportunities because when you're growing and you're entrepreneurial and you're trying to, you're trying to build a lot of relationships, you want to say yes. Um, but I, EOS has actually forced me to, and, and we, you know, all of my marketing team, I know you're, if you're listening to this, I know I'm not perfect here, but we are getting a lot better at this and, and putting, you know, a, a proposal as a project now. Right. And our marketing team can only go after so many proposals every year. So this is forcing all of our systems to be focused on win rates and influencing and proactiveness instead of reacting to the shiny object that kind of feels like it's in our wheelhouse. And to the point that in 2022, we're putting a, a, you know, a president's budget for, I I just have a gut feeling about this one. And, you know, my gut feeling hit rate is probably 20%, right? So, uh, you know, our, our regular hit rate might be 30%. um, But years ago, it was probably 10% of a whole lot of stuff we were, we were chasing. And, and all of our systems have been focused on being more proactive in our marketing. Uh, but I think it's, it's fear in leaders that you always need to have more work being generated than you have because, you know, and, and this is another government issue. You win a contract, but you don't get any work under it for two years or you submit on a contract, but the government takes a year to, to award it. And it's like, you can't count on that. We've got $100 million in contract capacity. And again, I'm thinking about how do we more effectively partner with the big businesses that we're on those proposals with to, to create value and drive, you know. So it's this, it, it's kind of this escalation of force or arms race between the public sector and the private sector trying to win work and the public sector trying to, I don't know, enforce FARs or create more regulations that, you know, it's, it's the law of unintended consequences, you end up doing a whole lot more churn. So in, in the spirit of Tim Ferriss, which is another one we connected on, um, you know, what's the four hour work week. If we were to hire a proposal coordinator for four hours, what would they do for those four hours? Right. And how would we, how would we, you know, how would we sustain our business with only four hours of marketing? And, you know, that's the, that's the 80, 20, you know, real extreme. Um, but I, I do think it's a leadership issue. It's a business issue and it's, you can't treat your, your people as an unlimited resource. They're assets that you invest in, not, not resources you just burn through. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, there's part of me that as you're talking about it, I was getting uncomfortable with it too, because it's like, oh, who falls in that category in my company? And I 
am very, very focused on our people having a work-life balance because I am, you know, I'm a father of three kids. I know what, I know what burnout looks like. I know what burnout feels like. And I, you know, I don't want to be that company. And I know that, you know, we're struggling with that across the world. Um, so it's, it's also about creating a culture that's just more reasonable, right? Work doesn't need to be everybody's number one. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's that like, like you said, push and pull, right? Cause especially if you're a small business, you know, it's like you, you got to keep feeding the beast. Yeah. Yeah. You got to keep feeding the beast. And, and, uh, there is that temptation of like, you know, bringing more work in if being reactive, like, okay, let's just submit on this, submit on this, submit on this, submit on anything we can. And, uh, you know, wait for something to hit, right. Versus, yeah. versus kind of going out and being proactive. Like, so for example, we had this, we used to have this contract. It was like a $250,000 contract with a, with an agency in, in Boston. We're getting a workout. Okay. Um, maybe a year left in our contract. So let's just go up and meet with them. Right. So we got, went up and met with them and, and uh, we walked out of that meeting and they said, Oh, you're going to get the $250,000 worth of work in this year. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. And I've seen that kind of scenario so many times where we're, Firms would just win contracts and just uh, not kind of follow up with it, you know, not like say, hey, let's let's figure out what we can do to help this client versus, yeah. okay, let's just wait for a ta- task order. Right? That's, that's yeah. yeah, they'll call us. Yeah. No, they won't. <laughs> Furthermore, I've seen firms, especially the big entities, they put you on the team, especially to, to meet some sort of goal or, or meet some sort of requirement or to you know, I give their team some sort of advantage and they win a contract, you give them a call and then they ghost you. Right. I've, I've seen that many times as well. And my response to that always is like, when they call you next time, Hey, I've been calling you guys for a month. You know, I called you guys after the last contract didn't hear from you. Yeah. So why am I going to, booster your proposal this time, right? What's different now? So, you know, I think if someone is not helping you, like Tim, Tim Klebundy going back to his book. So we said, you got to network with everybody, but you also have to be very strategic about who you network with, right? So if someone's not helping you out, you know, and you've helped them out a bunch of times and, you know, and they're not willing to help you. Well then move on to someone else. Yeah. Agree. All right. Jumping topics, favorite quote in your repertoire. There's a lot of them. I would say um, favorite quote is uh you know when i say a lot it, it is uh let's test that theory yeah all right you think that's gonna let's test that theory i think that's probably the one i i say a lot uh i uh one of the you know so going back to the kids 
the one my kids hear the most is everything is figure outable. Everything is figure outable. It's another quote. Um, we say how yes at MCFA. How yes. How yes. Uh, not no. How yes. How could that be? How could we do that? How could we make that work? Uh, but I like the let's test that theory. Somebody needs to say that to me a little more. <laughs> um, all right. Books. Must read book or most gifted book? Uh, I think, you know, from a standpoint of, of uh, proposals, I think The Magic of Winning Proposals is my favorite book on proposals. It's by Laura Ricci. Um, I actually ended up publishing it, but it's written, not but written by me, but written by Laura Ricci. Uh, and this book is, in my opinion, the best book about winning proposals, specifically in, in our industry. In the industry of construction. As far as everyday books, I think um, David Allen's Getting Things Done is uh, would be probably top of my list. I think that you kind of have to read. I, I like that one. Um, and I'm going to throw one out there. I think it's Keith Ferrazzi, Never Eat Alone, just because you you talked about networking. And I think it's a great book on, on that. Um, so I don't know if you've read that one, but for the audience, because we're on I read the that many, many years ago, Keith Ferrazzi book. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty good one. Another um, persuasion by Bob Robert Cialdini is, is another book that has had a lot of influence on my life. And I got, you know, I had a chance to, to uh, interview him twice actually. Uh, so that was really, really neat. He's like the, Godfather of persuasion. All right. You just added to my Christmas list. Uh, dead or alive, if you could hang out, hang out with anybody for a day, who would it be? And what would you do? Um, that's a good, good question. You know, I've been very fortunate that, you know, I've, I've been able to meet certain people like um like adam grant and uh Ramit oh, that's a great and bob cialdini and talk to them and i kind of feel like what to some respect i've got what i needed to get from them <laughs> you know and uh sometimes even more helpful are the people in their circle yeah right? Um, but I don't really have, you know, there is one guy that, but this has nothing to do with business or life. Just, just to have enjoy. Uh, there was a radio guy that you may have, may or may not know of. His name is the grease man. Have you ever heard of the grease man? I have not. Okay. He was like a radio disc jockey. He would tell all these funny stories. He's, I view him as maybe one of the funniest person, people who have ever lived. Right. He's retired now, but I wouldn't mind spending an afternoon drinking a few martinis with, with the grease man. All right. Fact, that's the one time I actually got, I was in, he was DJing in Florida and I was there with my wife and she was pregnant. So I, you know, I called him up on, uh, and I was able to speak with him and my wife was, uh, 
still still to this day makes fun of me saying that I was starstruck and I like was <laughs> you know, like uh couldn't get a word out, you know, right on this phone <laughs> on this phone call. So that's the the one person. But again, it doesn't, it's not gonna move my life forward. It would just be for entertainment purposes. Hey, that's fun needs to be a part of life. It's a core value at MCFA, back to back to not just trading time for money. Um, I'd also like to uh, have a boxing match with Mike Stedman. <laughs> no gloves. We, we can make knuckles. We can, we can make that happen. <laughs> I like to call, I call him iron Mike, iron Mike Stedman. That's right. And in the words of Andy Reed, the time is yours. Uh, any closing inspiration or challenge to, uh, the problem solvers that are listening to this? Yeah. One of this goes back to one thing that my friend Tim said to me, I, I was, when I was working in the city, I was always kind of had a, a, an issue when I step over, I'm walking to my lunch, I'm stepping over a homeless person. Right. And what, and I would give, you know, sometimes I'll just give somebody 20 bucks or whatever, or just walking down the street, just give some money out. And I'm like, but I, I felt like, well, I can't fix this problem. You know, like I want to do something about this. I don't know what I can do because there's obviously a lot of sometimes mental issues. Sometimes there's drug issues involved that are kind of out of my control. Right. And, I'm, you know, I can give some money to a homeless shelter or whatever, but I'm still going to be stepping over these homeless people. And he had told me this story and I'm going to screw it up about a veteran who had fought in an overseas war and he was fighting on this island. And after the war, he um, went back to that island to see what he could do to help those people. And one thing Tim said was, you kind of have to find your island. What's mm -hmm. your island? And to me, I think my island is the people that are working on proposals. And like, that's my island. Um, and some people, Ramit said to me one time, he said, you know, that isn't a big enough island or a big enough group of people to make a ton of money. Right. That niche is too niche. Right. <laughs> but to me, that's my island. Right. And I, there was a guy that I know, a uh, guy who got me my first, uh, brought me in my first contract, essentially. Uh, Scott Wolf, he was an attorney, a construction attorney who put together like a software program that helped subcontractors file liens in every state, liens on properties so, to get paid essentially. He, this was years ago and it was, it was a software that when I talked to construction attorneys, they would say, this is not possible. You can't do this. This guy's, this guy's insane. You know, uh, several attorneys told me that. Just a couple of weeks ago, he sold his, his company to Procore for $500 million, right? So he had a lot of success. He had obviously a much bigger um, and more uh, valuable island, if you will. But like that was Scott's island, right? So I feel like you got to find your islands and be happy with helping your islands whatever that may be.
I love that, Matt. Uh, speaking of islands, as we talked before the show, one of our islands, maybe maybe my island, is helping uh, DOD personnel, uh, retired veterans, transitioning veterans uh, that are interested in coming to the architect engineering construction. And I put real estate development profession in there because I think development managers are, are very similar. Um, and we had talked about potential scholarships. You want to just dig into yes. that a little bit? I'm glad you brought that up because it completely uh, slipped my mind because we didn't really go down that rabbit hole. But but yeah, so I have a course called Win Writing. And it's all about learning how to win business in our construction industry from identifying who to target, how to get meetings with people, uh, to writing and winning proposals, right? Uh, and here's my offer to anyone who is a veteran, uh, veteran of the U.S. military service. Uh, if you're a Russian veteran, I don't know if I'm going to give you this uh, offer, but if you're a U.S. military veteran and you have interest in learning how to write proposals and win work in the construction industry, send me an email at matt. It's matt at helpeverybodyeveryday.com. Again, that's matt at helpeverybodyeveryday.com. And I'd be happy to kind of enroll you into the course uh, for free. That's awesome, Matt. Um, and and as a as a endorsement of that offer and, and also to tag onto it, copy me on that email. Um, because two things, one, we're looking for candidates for a cohort in 2022. Um, uh, we, we haven't quite figured out the program, but we believe that it's going to be a partial created by MCFA partial partnership with, uh, a university, uh, for construction management degrees. And, you know, some people may want to go into marketing, uh, in the industry. Some people want to go into construction management and technical. I believe, and, and I say this to my team all the time, the greatest way to learn this business is to understand it from the marketer's perspective, because they see what the opportunities are. You will expose yourself to a thousand projects, looking at them as a scope of work instead of as a project in the field. Project in the field, you eventually have to get some experience on the job training, but the, the diversity of types of opportunities from healthcare to defense to real estate, um, infrastructure, horizontal, vertical, uh, operations and maintenance and asset management versus new construction. The diversity of work that's out there uh, and that you can see from a marketer's eyes, just looking at opportunities uh, will start to give you a sense of what's in the industry. Taking Matt's course will help you understand what the marketing and business development side of this industry looks at and looks like. And then everybody else who's not a veteran, but, but uh, either has a really demanding boss or just wants to be better at their job on the marketing side. Uh, we use this training to train our uh, proposal coordinators and our marketing managers. Uh, um, it's one one of several pieces that we use. We do some internal processes and procedures, but this really is um, the the best course we've seen for uh, helping you understand proposal mastery. So, Matt, thanks so much, uh, and and can't emphasize that endorsement enough, and appreciate that offer to our veterans. Um, one of our missions at MCFA is helping veterans transition from the DOD to the AEC. So if we can help in any way, uh, one, take Matt up on his offer because I think it's good exposure and two, get in touch with us. 
Uh, last, if you enjoy this show, do us a favor, subscribe to inspiring people in places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite po podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared with other entrepreneurial public servants or private sector AEC or uh, transitioning veterans. Uh, be sure to check out our website at www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter and uh, stay in touch with us. Until next time, I uh, hope you enjoyed our time with Matt Handel and have a great rest of the week and a great holiday season. Thanks so much.